I am still stuck on last week's parsha. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I want to share with you three moments in the biography of Noah, continuing my line of thought about the impossibility of discussing a pre-lapsarian world from a post-lapsarian perspective. Meaning, how am I, as a as a narrator, as a, a, as an author, in any way able to describe the existential crisis of of mankind that occurred before and after the fall. Now remember, Noah is a kind of recreation because God regretted that he had created the world. If I can share with you the text, Vayinochem Adonai, God regretted ki osor et ha'adam. And so we have the deluge, which is a kind of decreation and one single survivor, Noah, because it says, Adonai, and Noah found favor. And so there is a recreation after the flood. And so again, we have that problem of describing what was happening before, during, and after. So let's dive in. I have highlighted in red these light words, these, these key words that both are a kind of palindrome an alliteration and a pun all in one. The first thing is Lemech has a son and Vayikra et Shimon Noach, he calls him, he gives him a name, he named him Noach. And he tells us why. Lamer saying, Can you see the word Noach in Yenachamenu? The word Noach then has to do with the verb Yenachamenu. He will comfort us. So what is he going to give us relief from? Something had happened from Lemech's point of view that required relief. And what was it? From our work, our toil, and from the itzavon. How do I translate that? Etzav is sadness. So from our toil and the sadness of our hands, so coming from the fall of man in Breshit, Lemech represents his generation's realization that there is a curse on the land and that has resulted in the sadness of man because that word itzavon goes back to Genesis 3 when God curses man and says, In sadness you will eat from the land all the days of your life. Until then, man would be able to sow and reap without any toil. Now there will be a sadness that comes from eating all the days of your life. And therefore, for some reason, Lemech looks at this newborn baby, Noah, and said, you know what? He's going to be a kind of relief, a comfort. There's something that he sees actually in, in the baby, in the baby Noah, which he foresees will give us relief from this cursed land, this cursed land. And if we look at Rashi, which is the thing that stunned me, Rashi brings the Tanhuma. What was it that he could see? 
What was it that Lem that Lemech saw in this newborn baby that will be a relief from the sadness and the toil and the curse of man? And so Rashi says, Yonach Mimenu, he will ease us as itzvon yodenu, the toil of our hands. He will ease it. Why? until Noach appeared. They had no implements for plowing. He was an engineer. He was an agricultural engineer. He devised implements for them. So that the earth would produce coats for dardar. Uh, it would produce thorns and thistles and artichokes and cordons. When they were sowing wheat. That came from the curse of man. So Rashi is actually quoting the Tanhuma, And let me just share with you the Tanhuma because it actually gets, it goes further than that. The Tanhuma states, May itzvon yodeinu, from the sadness of our hands, nolad noach, hitkin lahem. And now he adds, not just macharechos, not just the plow. Umagalot v'kardumot v'kol klei malacha. He produced now plows, scythes, axes, and other implements. Somehow, the birth of Noah, this new Adam, would be the Nechama that would be on the arrival of Noah. It turns out that this would produce nothing more than technology. And, you know, you read this year after year, and it doesn't grab you. But that Rashi just grabbed me, that he was the inventor of the plow, the side, the axe, coal clay, all the tools that would take a person off the land and give him the technology, which would save him from the curse of the land. So the Nechama that Lemech saw in Noach, Vayikra et Shemo Noach, Zeyenachameinu, he will be the source of relief, Nechama, Mimaseinu, Umeitzavon Yodeinu, from our toil and that sadness that was the curse that was given to us by God. The second stage is, of course, Vayar Adonai ki Rabba Ra'os Ha'odom Ba'aretz, that man had become wicked on the land, all the devices of his human heart was nothing but evil. And I don't need to go into the Midrashim about the Zima and everything that was bad about the Dor HaMabal. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on, again, Vayinochem. Look at that word. Do you see the Noach in that? Vayinochem. And God regretted. His God, his regret is expressed by the same word as Lemech's Vayinachem, the root word being Nun Chet Men, Nechama. Now you might say that that's just a coincidence, except that it's hard to chalk this up to coincidence because the other parts of God's declaration echo that same idea, which is what? Ki Nichamti Kiosisi, again, I regret that I did it, and God says to his heart, he says to his heart, I'm going to blot out a man from the world. 
That word Vayisatsev comes from the game, a pun on the word Itzavon. The Lord regretted that he had made man, and he was saddened to his heart and said, I will wipe out man. So those words, Vayinochem, he regretted. We knew that from Lemech. Kiyosa, that goes back to he had made man, Naase Odom. He was saddened because he had cursed man, but itzavon, you shall in sorrow work the land. The face of the word that comes again from Lemech. Again, Lemech had said, Do you see those? God is repeating those same words. And God is saying, So what's really going on? It's almost like God is mimicking Lemech in some way when he decides to destroy the world. Why would God build the decision to destroy his creation out of Lemech's innocent hopes for his newborn child? And I think that that Rashi helps us. I think that that Rashi helps us in the sense that Lemech saw, as Chazal say, that Noah would be the creator of technology and the plow, and that would be a comfort for human beings. But that wouldn't that that would help solve the problem. It would ease mankind's cultivation of the soil. So living in a post-plow technological world. Humans would no longer feel as much of the sting of the curse of the land, and they would find comfort in that. But there is something insidious about that hope, because the curse, in the wake of the episode of the Tree of Knowledge, as we discussed in our last podcast, causes a distance between the human being and the two other important beings, the land, the Adaba, and God. And hiding from God is one way we felt that distance. You know how Cain hides from God. And another way we feel that distance is the sadness. Remember the Ramban illustrated this idea with a, a, a wonderful comment. When God said, Na se Odom betzalmenu, who is he talking to? And there are different mephorashims. Is he talking to the angels? Is he talking to the tzaddikim? Ramban says, why is it in the plural? Let us make man. He says, who is the partner of God in creation? It's the land. God was speaking to the land. You contribute the, the body and I will contribute the soul. And together we will create him. So it is very much this kind of misappropriation of the land. The curse of the land was, you are now cursed. I made you afamin adama. Adam made you from the dust of the land. And now the dust you, of the land you shall return to. So the land is cursed because of your sin. Comes along Lemach and says, you know, in my little Noah, in this little baby boy, I see an engineer. And he is going to resolve the problem of the curse of the land. But in fact, God says, no, 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 you're going the wrong way. You, you, you've missed the point. The point is not that the land was cursed so that you shall be in sadness the whole time so that you should devise a way out of that conundrum but that you should try and restore the harmony between you and the land and between you and me. So already at the beginning, Noah is kind of cursed by his father with this horrific, this horrific gift of technology. 
because that's going to be a source of nechama for the land and for the people, but not in the way that God intended. So God regrets using Lemech's very words and says, I will wipe out man. Nevertheless, Noach Matzachain. Chain is the palindrome of Noach. Do you see that? Noach and Chain. He, he finds favor in God's eyes. Very nice. He finds favor and he's a tzaddik. Okay. That's the first act of Noah. Now let's go to the second act when he's coming out of the ark. What is happening when he's coming out of the ark? And we're told something very interesting. Noah kashehu yatsa minateva he kishu ari vashibra. As he was going out of the ark, a lion bit him and injured him. Whoa! What is that about? What is that about? As he's coming out of the ark, what was going on in the ark? Remember, he was feeding everybody in the ark. And as he was feeding everyone in the ark, one day, and he had to give every, he never slept, remember, the whole year, he never slept. And when he, when he's feeding the animals, each animal had its own feeding time. And Noah, according to the Tanchumah, had wronged the lion at some point during their 12-month stay by failing to deliver the hungry animal's food precisely as it was expected. Mm -hmm. And during that tardiness, the lion injured Noah, either during the year in the ark or as he was exiting. And the question is, Noah shouldn't have deserved such punishment. Well, maybe he shouldn't have been late in feeding him, but it seems out of proportion. He can hardly be accused of being lax or negligent. They were devoted to their year-long task, he and his boys, working day and night with no sleep to satisfy the wide-ranging needs of the ark's vast animal population. So Noah was tardy for feeding one session? He doesn't deserve such a severe rebuke. A painful injury not only made him physically handicapped, but guess what happened as he came out of the ark? It says... When he came out of the ark, what happened? He brought a korban. He brought a korban on that same day as he came out. However, it says he didn't bring the korban, but his son brought the korban. It turns out that he was limping. And therefore, unfortunately, he was not allowed to bring a korban. As we know in the Gomorrah, you can't bring a korban if you have a mum. And so we learn the mum had come from that lion, from that lion's bite. And of course, the Mepharshim ask the punishment seems out of proportion for the, the lion biting him. Not only that, we're told it says, Ba'oholo, in his tent. What happened in his tent? Vayitgal betoch oholo. He planted a vineyard, and the next thing you know, Vayigal betoch aholo. He becomes drunk, and the word vayigal is problematic, of course, because what does that mean? Rashi says that he unfortunately became exposed. He uncovered himself. But what does the word betoch aholo mean? Ubala shamesh mitoso. Aholo means his wife. He hadn't had relations with his wife the whole time that he was in the ark. He was too busy. And now he comes to his tent, inebriated, the toch oholoshel ishto, her tent, 
And now Rabbi Huna b'shem Rabbi Elezer b'nosha Rabbi Yosi Aklidi says, Noach k'shiyotsa min ha'teva ikishu ari, he was bitten by a lion. And when he comes to be Meshamish, his wife, for the first time to have relations, nitpazer zarov nitpazar, the seed scattered about due to his handicap. So he was bitten in that place and he was disgraced. Because of his wounded physical state, he was no longer in control of his faculties when incapable of cohabiting with his wife. And because of his inebriation, he overlooked this, which led him to being disgraced. It's a very dark medrash. It's not just about the fact that he was drunk, but it is about the fact that he was unaware that he was drunk and therefore was unaware of his wound. When he was not drunk, he was aware of his wounds, and so he didn't go into his wife because he was aware that he was incapable. But the drunkenness caused a a flaw in his self-awareness of his own wound so that he just marched into the tent and disgraced himself because he couldn't perform. A very, very dark midrash. Now, why am I bringing these three pericopes together? That is, the notion that initially his father felt that he would be a nechama for his generation because he had invented technology, the plow the scythe, the axe, the pitchfork. And then as he is in the ark, he does exactly what God tells him. He's a big tzaddik. And now that he comes out, the first thing he does is to plant a vineyard. And planting the vineyard causes both a disgrace for him and for his wife and his self-awareness. So for me, again, this inability to experience that pre-lapsarian world, we need to project back and no better generation exists than our generation to understand Noah as a survivor. Noah as a survivor. To quote Wiesel, imagine what he must have felt as he walked ashore and discovered the empty wasteland. He must have looked for familiar ground, vantage points, cities of light and life, dwelling places and their sounds. He knew that they had vanished and still he went on looking for them. Then he was comforted by a choice, anger or gratitude. He chose gratitude. He offered a korban to heaven. I'm a survivor. The first, he chose gratitude rather than bitterness, the special gratitude of the survivor. He or she knows that every moment is a moment of grace for he should have could have been in another's place, another who is gone. During the catastrophe, Noah was a protagonist. But now, after the catastrophe, emerging from the ark, he has become a witness. And now, more than ever before, Wiesel says, I feel sorry for him. Was he, in fact, a tzaddik? He was a human being who, having gone to the end of night, knew he was condemned to be free. Having reached the limits of despair, he felt himself duty-bound to justify hope. I imagine him under his tent telling his children and grandchildren stories of his own youth when he was only a hundred years old. He speaks of the past in order to shape the future. Tzaddik Shebedorotov, a man who was a tzaddik only in his own generation. But later he is transformed or transfixed by the experience. All of a sudden he's no longer the same person, the same character. The metamorphosis is illustrated in coming out. 
and getting drunk. It's illustrated in the Gemara. Before the catastrophe, he was a good son, and nothing is said of him being a good father. It's as though he thought that children were out of place in the man's wicked and corrupt society. Later, he turns into a good father. He reaches out to his neighbors. He becomes an ish adama, a landowner, a laborer, a person seeking to develop himself by working with his fellow human. It is with sadness that we take notice of the negative transformation later in his life. Noah means Noah Labriot, someone who gets along with people, something a just man never does. Ish tzaddik v'tamim. But what does he do next? He listens to God who promises him never again. <laughs> never again will he punish mankind that way. God concludes the Brit with Noah and gives him a solemn pledge there'll be no more deluge. And then he begins to lecture him on the importance of life, celebrate life, condemning murder and suicide as never before. And that does sound somewhat absurd, or at least paradoxical. God has just condemned mankind to irrevocable death. And now, almost in the same breath, he raises his voice in praise of life. At that point, Noah at last does something touching, something unrelated to history or God, something purely personal, private, futile, foolish, but pleasant and voluptuous. He plants a vineyard, not an apple tree, not a cherry tree, a vineyard. Everything the Medrash says occurred on one day. He planted it. He drank from the planting. He fell into debauchery. All those in one day. Time was accelerated. He did everything fast. In one day, he went through the phases that would normally take seasons and years. Straight out of the ark, he drinks, falls asleep, crawls into his tent, only to be discovered in his nakedness by Ham. You know, the Sotan saw Noah planting his vineyard. And he says, would you take me to be your partner? I'll invest in you. And he said, sure, gladly. So using his newly acquired privileges, Satan brought a lamb, a lion, and a pig, and a monkey, and buried them under the, tr the vine tree. And so their blood mixed with the wine. And that, the rabbis tell us, is if you drink one glass, you become sweet like a lamb. You drink two, you'll become strong like a lion. Three, ridiculous like a monkey, and four, disgusting as a pig. Is this our hero and savior, Noah? the business associate and investor with, uh, with Satan. And so he becomes a disappointment as a character. But there is something else. As Wiesel points out, there's Noah's case, Noah the survivor. The feeling of guilt when he discovered his own impenetrable solitude. All survivors are haunted, if not plagued, by such feelings at one time or another. Noah must have wondered, why me? Surely he did not think he was chosen because he was a better person. Others had held higher position. Why me? Over and over. He had saved his wife and children, but what about his relatives, his neighbors, his acquaintances? They're all dead. Only he is alive. Here is Noah, master of the world. There's no one left to challenge his power. Master and ruler of contemporary history. He will confer new meaning. Eile told us Noah. The human story will start all over again with Noah. Noah, your ancestor and mine, no one ever had his possibilities, his power, his triumph. No one ever felt such anguish. And therefore, after the first gesture of gratitude, the carbon, after the first offering, he needed a glass of wine to become inebriated. And I would like to suggest that we are now entering a new dark age. 
an, an age where our civilization, our experiment in democracy is failing, as you will see on Tuesday. And we have been granted in the last hundred years the tools of technology. Noah the plowman, Noah the first technologist has bequeathed to us the tools of technology like no others. And artificial intelligence now begins to threaten us, both our lives of privacy and possibility the future, the wars that will be fought through AI. So technology itself has become a relief from the plowing of the land, but technology has become its own curse. Everything that is now using technology to provide the processed food that poisons us and the multiple weapons and the harms and the, and the missiles and the rockets that threaten to destroy our civilization comes back to that original Zeya Nachamenu as a kind of ironic bad dream of Lemech. Lemech thought that through technology, Noah would be a source of comfort for the world. But Noah himself, the survivor, saw the dark side of that technology. He saw that as the survivor of that first complete mass destruction, that first holocaust of mankind, he saw following that, that this really was not the solution. And as a survivor, his solution is not told to us other than having children and blessing his children. He saw both the personal cost in his own body and his inability to procreate from then on, as well as in his society, that darkness that could only be solved through the inebriation of alcohol and the ability to relieve himself from that horrific survivor guilt. Someone asked Rabbi Tversky, can you help me with my alcoholism? And Rabbi Tversky said, do you believe in God? And he said, no. He said, well, just do the following thing. Say the following prayer for the next month and then come back and see me, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God. So the following month, the guy came back to Rabbi Tversky and he said to him, I still don't believe in God. But guess what? After saying all these prayers, the one thing I do realize is that I am not God. Have a wonderful week. May we all survive. May we all not get inebriated to avoid the pain of what we're going through today.